Here we go. You're listening to Wednesday's Law and Gospel on this September the 23rd in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Wednesdays, we are taking a look at CFW Walther's lectures that he had for over a year to seminary students on Friday nights. This one is going to be the 23rd evening lecture that he delivered on March the 20th, 1885. And we're taking a look at an introduction to thesis number 12. That's what we're going to be looking at. There's 25 of them, and we're about halfway through. What does he say in the introduction? He starts off by telling the seminary students that the most important function of the minister of a church is preaching. And he makes a point that at the time of Luther, uh, the Roman Catholic leaders indicated that the most important functions of a priest was to baptize, hear confession, pronounce absolution, administer communion, and to offer to God the sacrifice of the Mass. And he makes a point that when that occurred, there was not much being done in preaching to explain to the laity the importance of baptism absolution, the Lord's Supper, etc. And therefore, a lot of people were receiving these items from the priests, but they didn't have an understanding of what they were about. He says, the people should be thoroughly taught about these works from the Word of God in sermons. So he uses some Bible verses to show the importance of preaching in a worship service. Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures. Matthew 28, go therefore and teach all people. And that also talks about teaching them to observe all that I have commended to you. Now, this function for pastors, remember he's talking to seminary students, is the most difficult task. He has this statement, I want to read it because I think a lot of preaching is like this today, rather than proper preaching. Some pastors believe that if only they are careful to preach nothing but the Word of God without adding any heresy, that must be enough. Such preachers have given into a horrible and very dangerous error. Many mere pious talk without any purpose or logical order is not genuine preaching. Uh, for example, you may have a sermon 
about Jesus meeting with Nicodemus, telling him that he must be born again. But there's nothing in the sermon that explains what Jesus meant by being born again. I, I talk about improper preaching just simply speaks the content of the Bible, the many historical events, whereas proper preaching, it does the application of those events. Remember, the unbelieving Pharisees, they believed all parts of the Bible from a historical point of view, but they had no understanding of the application of those. They, they knew, for example, that God had told Eve that through her, through her seed, would come the Messiah. But they didn't recognize Jesus as a fulfillment of that, even though he was fulfilling all the Old Testament passages about that. He, he makes this point. Administering baptism is easy. Anybody can do it. Likewise, pronouncing absolution correctly is also quite easy. Even a boy can do it. Administering Holy Communion is correctly is very easy as well. But to teach about these things properly is difficult. Therefore, he makes a distinction in Roman Catholic theology, when an individual becomes a priest, he receives what they call an indelible character. C.F.W. Walter talks about that. A minister of God is a servant of Jesus Christ, and his value does not lie in a certain undefined quality that is imparted to him at his ordination. Preaching is the central element. And he makes a point that an ordained pastor is no higher in God's estimation than any layman who believes in Jesus Christ as his Savior. So, how does a pastor achieve proper sermons. To achieve this task, he says, it must rightly distinguish law and gospel. And he says, to distinguish law and gospel properly is a very, very difficult task. Nevertheless, a young theologian must be able to recite the lessons on how to do law and gospel. And that's basically what these various principles that CFW Walther enunciates over this one year of lectures to the students. We are now at thesis number 12. And here's what it says. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you teach that the reason our sins are forgiven is because we 
both believe and are contrite. Wow. How many people believe that? If you ask a lot of people who are believers, why are you saved? Many a time they will say, well, I'm sorry for my sins and I believe in Jesus Christ. By saying that, they are indicating that their contrition is something that contributes to their forgiveness. Now, C.F.W. Walther begins his lecture by saying, there's no question that contrition is necessary if a person wishes to obtain the forgiveness of sins. And he quotes various passages from the Bible. In fact, in Mark 1, verse 15, how does Jesus talk about his ministry? Repent and believe in the gospel. He cites repentance first. Therefore, contrition is absolutely necessary because without it, no one can become a believer. And he quotes from Solomon in Proverbs 27, verse 7. One who is full, that means he's had a big meal. He loathes honey. The, the way I like talking about it is I like using the analogy of going to a doctor. You go to a doctor because you're not feeling well. Well, he gives you the diagnosis. Well, that's wonderful, but that doesn't solve your problem. It's not going to heal you. You must then hear the treatment. But nobody's going to take treatment for something unless they have a proper diagnosis of what's wrong with them. And once they hear that, and then they hear the prescribed treatment, then they're ready to take the treatment. That's the same with law and gospel. The diagnosis is taught by the law, but it is not the cause for your sins being forgiven. Rather, faith grasp forgiveness of sins. Why? Because it believes the promises of the gospel. There are a number of ways that people claim contrition to be the cause of the forgiveness of sins, but that is a mingling of law and gospel. And here's two reasons Walter gives. Number one, contrition is solely a result of the law. Now, we're talking about the contrition of unbelievers. In other words, if you say that contrition then becomes the cause for your forgiveness, you are saying that the law is turned into the gospel which corrupts the entire Christian religion. Number two, and a lot of people 
may not understand this. Contrition is not even a good work because contrition comes before faith. What is proper contrition on the part of the unbeliever? It is a suffering on the part of the unbeliever. It consists of anguish, pain, torment, a feeling of being crushed, all of which God has caused in the human beings with the use of the hammer of the law. It's Jeremiah who talks about the law as a hammer. We saw that in Martin Luther a couple of weeks ago when Luther thought not only to get to heaven did he have to obey the commandments, but he had to have the righteousness of God. And he knew he fell far short of the glory of God. What did that lead Luther to think? He hated God because he was demanding too much. There's no way that you can tell someone to generate contrition. It's kind of like telling someone to be humble. You cannot decide to become humble. You are humbled by some event. God does produce genuine repentance when the law is preached in its sternness and when human beings do not willfully resist its influence. So, suffering contrition, a lot of people will say, actually makes the claim that contrition is the true cause for the forgiveness of sins. And I think I made that clear, that a doctor's diagnosis is not the true cause of the treatment. No, the treatment is entirely different. And that's how we understand law and gospel. See, what makes God happy is not that I wish to be contrite. What makes him happy is that when the law and gospel is preached to me and my contrition prepares me to believe that I am a poor lost sinner in the same way that a doctor's diagnosis prepares me to be treated properly. For Luther, he really had a problem before he came to an understanding of what the scripture teaches, had a problem in the meaning of the word repentance. Because in Roman Catholic theology, repentance meant not only confessing your sins, but rendering satisfaction for your sins, as it still does today. Uh, Roman Catholic members go to the confession, and what does the priest say? Well, I forgive your sins, and your penance is to say the Our Father ten times and the Hail Mary five times, or maybe to do some action 
to make up for your sins. uh, CFW Walther also said, for years he had been genuinely contrite on the edge of despair. I did not have the sweet feeling of a broken heart and over the fact that I had seriously offended my father in heaven. And it wasn't until, and this is what he says, I felt I was a lost sinner. At that point, I turned to a person who was more experienced in these matters than I was. And in a few minutes, he opened my eyes. Now, he doesn't name that person, but we believe it to be Martin Stephan, who was a wonderful theologian when it came to repentance, but a terrible pastor as he had to be removed from the congregation for fooling around with women. So, CFW Walther says when he began to understand the proper understanding of repentance, then he was truly prepared to hear the gospel. He says, the problem with pastors, when they confuse law and gospel, they sometimes weaken the demands of the law or they demand too much when they tell their poor listeners, you need to repent. Your own common sense will tell you that God cannot forgive sins that you don't really care about yourself. You simply must repent. So let me tell you what this repentance must look like. Then they quote passages, for example, from David. I am weary with my moaning every night. I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Now, there is no doubt that is repentance. But they describe David's repentance. CFW asks this question. Show me a test, text from the Bible that prescribes the same degree of contrition for everyone. In, in other words, where does it say in the Bible that we must be repentant like David was, crying in our beds, etc. And here's what he says. Such a Bible passage does not exist. This is really important to understand. The Bible reveals a lot of things, but it doesn't mean that when it reveals certain things that we have to believe that we need to be doing the same things in order to please God with our repentance. He talks about the pietists who claim that faith must be preceded by a long period of penitence. In fact, they say a person cannot be converted in two weeks' time. Sometimes it takes months and years. 
That is a terrible, awful doctrine, according to C.F.W. Walther. And the reason for that is because, look at Saul on the road to Damascus. Did it take years for him to repent? No, it just took a few moments. And there are many examples of people coming to faith immediately when they hear the voice of Jesus. In other words, a person, Walther says, cannot possibly come to Jesus too soon. That's impossible. They call themselves poor sinners, but often they do not mean it because they want to present to God some merit of their own. It is complete hypocrisy when they say they are going to Jesus. For as a matter of fact, they do not come to him as poor beggars with all their sins. Now we see a lot of that today. You turn on a television commercial and the pastor says, open your heart and invite Christ into your heart. Somebody who's truly repentant as an unbeliever would not want Christ to come into his heart because it is a filthy heart. And so there is a distinction C.F.W. Walther makes between the repentance that is before faith and the repentance after faith. That is indeed a sacrifice with which God is pleased. And therefore, he then goes and quotes from the confessions. And it's a long quote, uh, quotation from what's called the small called articles that Luther himself wrote. And Luther wrote, the law is God's thunderbolt. He strikes down both obvious sinners and false saints. This is the hammer that Jeremiah talks about in chapter 23, verse 29. Is not my word like hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And that's called passive contrition. It's not something you actively do so that you can take credit for it and say, look, God, I've made myself to be contrite. Do I not get to re receive the forgiveness of sins, therefore? No. The fact is that what was happening in the Roman Catholic Church at the time of Luther, they would talk in the pulpit that, yes, you've been absolved, but we ask God to prolong our life until we can make satisfaction for my sins and amend my life. There is no satisfaction you can make for your sins because Jesus has done the full satisfaction. And he did that by dying on the cross. In other words, what CFW Walther is saying in this 20, uh, in this 12th thesis is something that we need to remember, that the contrition that properly 
occurs in us occurs because of the word of God working on us. It is not something that we decide. Let's make me more contritious any more than we can decide to become humble. No, it's God's work in making us humble and giving us the proper contrition as John the baptizer did. He taught repentance in order to prepare people for the coming of the gospel. And that's the good news that we're hearing in Thesis 12, where Walther says you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel if in the word of God you teach that the reason your sins are forgiven is so that you can become both believer and because of your contrition. Now that's a false view. On tomorrow's Long Gospel with Wes Reimnitz, we'll be talking about a subject that we hope you will find interesting on Rumination Thursday at 9.30. Uh, join with us and you can write me emails for Open Mic Friday. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.